We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's one, Ryan, I'm going to ask you first. So James Delaney says, thoughts on the Ravens hiring Todd Munkin from Georgia? I loved it for for the Ravens. I think that you the issue with the previous offensive coordinator, Greg Roman, with the Baltimore Ravens was it was great when he first got with the Ravens because he really accentuated some of the stuff that Lamar Jackson's excelled, excelled at in the run game. But I don't think it ever evolved after that. It was just kind of the same. And you just kind of, you know, the passing game never really took a massive step forward because I think you were just so preoccupied with being more of a niche type of, you know, specific offense. I think Todd Munkin can, has shown that he can adjust to what his personnel is. But more than anything, I think that he has the ability to open up the passing game a little bit for the Baltimore Ravens. I don't think we've seen the best. And, you know, and this is obviously assuming that they do get Lamar Jackson back, right? I mean, that is an assumption that I'm carrying. But if they do, I think that I still think there's a level of passing prowess that Lamar has not gotten to yet because I think that there just was not an emphasis on, hey, man, let's start putting more on your plate. Let's start opening things up a little bit. Let's start getting a little more creative in the passing game. It was just always about let's make the quarterback run game great. Let's make the running game great. And that's awesome. But there's a well-roundedness that I think that the Baltimore Ravens have lacked over the years from a passing game perspective. So I think Todd Munkin showed at Georgia that, and he even showed in the NFL before obviously his final stop there, that he can get a lot out of a passing game. He can get a lot out of an offense, and I think he's a really bright offensive mind. So I thought it was a really good hire from Baltimore, and I think that he has a chance. As long as Lamar comes back, they can figure out those contractual stuff, and they you know, continue to build talent in the passing, you know, in the passing weapons. I think that it could be a really good hire potentially for them. I think the thing too, is you've seen Todd Munkin run different types of offenses, as you said, Ryan. I mean, what he ran at Oklahoma state is way different than what he ran in Georgia. Way different. I, I think the thing for me is a lot of stuff he's, he, he, he'll do is going to be for um, like play action pass game, I think that's going to be good. He does a lot of a lot of stuff to try to. He does. He did a really nice job this year. I thought with ISOs using motions and shifts and, and post snap movement to create you know a, to get a guy open. So there's stuff like that in the NFL. 
the thing for me with Lamar is just going to be where's his head at, right? And, yeah. and that's always a concern for quarterbacks as they enter this part of his career. It's not unique to Lamar. It's it's true for all quarterbacks as they kind of get into this thing where, okay, is your contract the thing that dominates your, your mindset? Or are you letting your agents handle that and you're doing this? Well, here's the problem. Lamar's agent is him and his mom. I'm about to say he doesn't have right? an agent. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's a problem for me, you know, for him, because now he has to have more mental space taken up into this. And that's concerning to me. That's my concern with Lamar. And I've said before, Ryan, the issue with the Ravens for me is they did not build the offense to his to to where they in a way where you had to get more out of him. They just kind of put him in this box and just kind of left him in that box. No evolution. And I think Todd yeah. Munkin will do that, where he can take advantage of, of, uh, sort of. You can take advantage of the legs, and you'd be foolish not to. But when you got J.K. Dobbins, you can let J.K. be your primary runner, and you can let uh, Lamar kind of be in more of a Steve Young, John Elway role now. So he gets older in his career, and he's had a couple injuries where he's running off script as not so much of the design runs but letting him be more of an effective because the more effective he is as a passer, the more run lanes are going to come open as a scrambler, in my opinion, because you have to defend that part of your game more. And so, yeah, I agree. And I think Todd Munkin's a guy that will be able, I mean, look, if, if Todd Munkin can turn Stetson Bennett into a two-time national champion, I think he can do some stuff with Lamar Jackson. And, and the I, same I, age. I mean, you know, so that helps. I, I think a lot of the pr- same principles, uh, the principles stay the same with the Baltimore Ravens too. They're always going to be one. They're always going to want to be a team that wants to run the football. Yeah, Todd Monken showed that he could do that. Todd Monken also showed that he can do a lot with multiple tight end sets, and that has been something that the Baltimore Ravens have built their niche off of the last few years. I mean, everyone talks about Mark Andrews, but they have guys like Nick Boyle that rotate in frequently as in two tight end sets, sometimes in some 13 personnel. They want to use multiple tight ends. They want to run the football. Todd Munkin could do those things on top of opening the passing game, in my opinion. Now, look, I, I think that there's some personnel as I look at the Ravens. I also still think there's some personnel things they've got to do differently. I think if you're going to run the things that they're going to run, I think you need to have home run hitters at least one big home run hitter at receiver. Uh, you have to have someone that scares teams and forces them to defend down the field. They kind of got rid of that guy, right, in, in in Hollywood. Now, I don't know if he was that guy still in college or in the NFL, Ryan, but, like, to me, to run this offense, you need um, a guy, a, a Tyreek Hill, a, yeah. so, someone like him where it's just a stretch-the-field guy. Because otherwise, if you're you, – you can't run a lot of 15 and in uh, – routes where if you're you're a team that's also running the football you have to be able to throw the ball down the field you have to be able to throw down the field preferably for me i want a big guy and a fast guy is what i want on the outside i think that's the thing too is you've got to complement that that other group with the with the and i think that's what they were trying to get out of miles boykin he just you know just wasn't that guy like to me that would be kind of what i'd be looking for is you've got you've got to have some guys to stretch field because mark andrews is a good football player very good you know and and but he can't be your guy. He can't be your number one. He's got to be your number two or three. And you need you need you need some receivers that can do more. And until they do that, I think that's going to hold their offense back as well. well Lamar has always really struggled to throw outside the numbers for some reason mm-hmm. too. So there needs to be some type of understanding of how to improve that. I mean, he's and, always been yeah, really why? good to the middle of the field. Why is that? Why are there so much struggles outside the numbers? Is that because the wide receivers aren't good? Is that because it's not what he's comfortable with? Like there has to be some understanding. Is that a there. system problem? Yeah, I think that's fair, Ryan, because I think to me that's but that's part of the reason I think that they need to have a home run hitter because now you're playing to his strengths. Because the one thing I've always you've watched him a lot more in the NFL than I have, 
so you can you can correct me. One of the things I thought in college, I thought Lamar was one of the best deep ball throwers I've seen in college. Football. He doesn't really he was, throw the ball deep at all right now. Which yeah, is just, I mean, yeah, he was yeah. a really good deep ball thrower in college, and you know he's he's never been super great outside the numbers. Even in college, he was not a he was he was not he was below fifty percent past ten yards uh, in college in, in twenty seventeen twenty sixteen he was better. Uh, throwing that 10 to 19 range. He was over 50% those years, but he likes to throw the ball right down the middle of the field. When throws. He loves posts yes. and deep overs and stuff like that. That's where he's comfortable. And you've got to have a burner or you, you can't hit those routes. If you don't have a burner that that's in my opinion, I don't care what level you're at. So they're going to have to get that guy in my opinion. And I, I think the other thing too, is throwing the ball outside is just something that you've got to figure out what, how to get him mentally comfortable with that. Yeah, in my view, because he hasn't really been in that kind of offense. That's not really what they were at Louisville, in my and, view. And find some concepts that he's comfortable with at least. You can't just it, you can't just ignore a part of the right. field. It's like you just can't. But that's it. also why you need a big guy, a guy that can just hey, this guy's big and strong. Just let give him let let him get the ball get the ball out there to him. I think those things all can 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 help, in my opinion. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, we've got some more here. We've got Irish in Ohio with a question here, Ryan. How confident are you guys that Al Golden and Al Washington will make the necessary changes for the upcoming season? Uh, I mean, how can you be confident in that right now? I mean, it's just, 
this is a this is a prove it time for me, Brian. Right? Like this is a massive offseason for both of the Owls. It, I think it's in both of them that they can improve and be much better in in their capacities on the on the football field on the football team. But I mean, how confident am I? I I'm not confident at all. I would love to be cautiously optimistic, but there was nothing from the 2022 season that tells me or anything that you know I'm continuing to hear that I say, you know what. They're growing. They're evolving. I hope it happens, but I mean, I'm not optimistic at all at the moment. Yeah, same. Um, I'm not optimistic. We're gonna make changes. Yeah, yeah. I hope they do. I mean, for the betterment of the program, I I'm very much hoping that the switch gets yeah. clicked on. Because, I gotta see it, Ryan. That's yeah. where I'm at, man. I gotta see it. Yep, I gotta see it. Antoine Johnson, our resident Michigan fan, says uh, has a also has a question here for us, Ryan. Antoine, what's up? In fact, they should hire social media teams, but college football moves like the government. They're slow and oftentimes not willing to do stuff. Not Agree. Wrong. Not wrong. Agree. <laughs> Notre Dame should always be an innovative program. And that's one of the most maddening things about following Notre Dame over the years. Newt Rockney was an innovator. He was always ahead of the game. Like I remember getting in these scoreboard arguments with some of the old heads, right? Oh, yo, Newt Rockney wouldn't have had a scoreboard. Newt Rockney would have been the first person with a scoreboard in college football <laughs> if they were around back then. Because he wanted to be the, the number was one, right? Always revolutionary yeah. with the forward pass, revolutionary with yeah. traveling across the country. He was revolutionary with the stadium. He was a revolutionary when it came to college football. Pat, you know, Frank Leahy was a little bit more of a traditionalist, but that's fine. It's, it worked. It was worked phenomenally well. But like your foundation, you always trace it back to Newt. It's the house that Newt built and Rockney built and all this stuff, right? He wasn't a, always a, an ahead-of-the-game guy. And to me, one of the most frustrating things at Notre Dame is they've always been reactionary. And they've never been innovative. Hey, NIL's here. Okay, we don't want to get into the pay-for-play. Cool. I have said a million times, I support that. But that doesn't mean there aren't other things that you should be doing. To it, this it, it is the reality of NIL, and the AD always says we think the player should be taken better care of. Okay, cool. Then you need to make sure that your your communications department and your football program is doing more and more and more to promote these student athletes. That involves more media accessibility, right? It involves. Uh, more practice access. It involves making sure your video teams and your communication teams and your media teams are doing more and more and more to promote your student athletes on social media, you know, putting more videos out, having a team dedicated to the big sports. You know what I mean? Like those things need to be part of it and you should be ahead of the game. You should be having everyone else trying to keep up with you in these areas because you're not going to be out there courting donors to come give guys money. Totally. I'm, I'm good with that. Right. But you need to be doing things and making sure that you're giving your players the biggest platform possible. And just saying you're at Notre Dame, you have the biggest platform possible is BS because this isn't the 1960s anymore. It's not the 1980s anymore. Social media has allowed other people to catch up with Notre Dame from a notoriety standpoint. That's just a fact. Plus, you haven't won a title in 35 years, right? So now you need to say, okay, we can't just rest on what we did 50 years ago anymore. We need to be the trendsetters. We need to be the ones saying we're doing this for our student. Look what we're doing to put our student athletes and our students at Notre Dame in position to do these things. Because there are so many things that you could tap into the academic side of the school and some of the different programs to say, hey, we're going to have your kids. Like I would have interns that are part from like the math program that are like, hey, I want to get some stats whiz to help us with our analytics or whatever the case may be. 
you know, get kids from your from your film and media degree, which they have in Notre Dame, to help with different things on campus and start really making it campus wide and use some of those resources if you don't want to have to pay a hundred thousand dollars per employee to bring those positions in. Now you're really making it awesome and you're really creating some of those opportunities. And so there's just so many different things that I wish Notre Dame would be more ahead of the game on and understand the power of social media is something that this school just, they like, here's the thing, right? When they actually do things, they're usually really good. It's just way too infrequent. And then there's a lot of other areas where they're not taking advantage of the opportunities. Like, look, we're here. Use us to build your student athletes up. Right. Like, it just, it, yeah, it makes no sense. It just makes no sense to me that they don't do more of that. They're just, I don't know what it is, but Notre Dame should always be innovative. They shouldn't be reactionary. They should be innovative. And right now they're just, they're, they're, incre- they're slow reactionaries. You are correct. There's no question about it. And it's a little frustrating, right? And all the cool stuff you're doing, you see from the football team, like Chad's done a lot of really good stuff and coach Freeman's done some good stuff. But they can't do it on their own. They can't film practices on their own and put the videos together on their own. You need a team to do that. And they need to, they need to do more in that. Because there's some really smart people in Notre Dame that if you just said, sick them, this is the thing I want. Now go get it. And they could do it. They could do a great job with it. You just got to say, this is the priority. you know. And then in some positions where I don't think they have necessarily the best people in position to do those jobs, then find someone. You, know, you, you always pride yourself on being this elite institution you should have you should take pride in having the people in charge of every aspect of your campus be the best that you can possibly get not the cheapest but the best and and that's one of my big frustrations with Notre Dame right now to be completely honest with you cuz i know the money's there it's just about whether or not they choose to spend it on those things and right now they're not at least not to the degree they need to we have one here from 10 day 10 day's got a question as well so, Brian Ryan, what's worse or better, winning as coach at Notre Dame or winning as quarterback at Notre Dame without a championship? The coaching one's worse for me because, to me, the quarterback is a byproduct of the team that he's, he's around, yeah. and good or bad. And and the, the quarterback, like, for example, Jimmy Clausen is not at fault for the defense in 9 stinking, right? Brady Quinn is not at fault for the defense, not giving up a fourth and nine or giving up a fourth and nine against USC, right? He did his job. He got him down there against USC, got him a touchdown, a couple minutes left and, and all that. The players are always beholden to the, the, the overall job that the head coach does. Do you give me the resources and tools I need around me to go in? So yes, absolutely. I, I always put that on the coach. You, 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 the winning is coach at Notre Dame thing that Brian Kelly currently owns is it's a lifetime achievement award. It, it's not yeah. a greatness award. You just coached longer and everybody else in an era where you played more games per season. You're also a coach who got much easier schedules by and large than your predecessors and your schedules during the stretch where you were really good. were all much easier than the stretch schedules you had when you're going eight and five, nine and four every year. So I think that's part of it as well. But, you know, to me at Notre Dame, a place like Notre Dame, greatness is measured by championships. And Brian Kelly has none. So he's not the winningest coach in Notre Dame in any other way other than the longevity. He's like eighth in winning percentage, right, of monks, of coaches who have been at Notre Dame for at least five seasons. He's like eighth in win percentage. True, true. That's not hyperbole. That's fact. I looked that up. And so I just don't really care about 
oh, you were there long. That means Notre Dame settled. That's what that means, yeah. right? So, um, yeah. I, I don't. I don't. I also just don't like blaming kids for ineptitude, right? I, I just think that that's a coaching thing. Like that's the first and foremost I always look at is say, you know, that's the. It's going to be on your record. It's going to be next to your name. And, you know, what happens on the field on Saturdays is a byproduct of what the coach recruited, what the coach designed, the game plan put together, all those types of things. So it's always Coach May. I mean, to me, the other thing too, Ryan, is I just – with the Ian Book thing, I'm not a big Ian Book fan. You know that. You know my reasons why. Yeah. Part of the reason is just the manner in which he was hyped. You know, like the Super Bowl. He's the backup quarterback. Who has he played it? Did he play a snap this year? No, he did not. Like he was also he was also inactive in the Super Bowl. Like to me, it's so so disrespectful to Tony Rice and and the Brady Quinns and the of the world, the Joe Theismans, the Joe Montanas, the 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 John Hewards, the Angelo Bertellis, the Johnny Lujacks of the world. When you keep calling him your winningest quarterback, you know because those guys were better players. And most of them won championships. Tony Rice won more games against top twenty-five teams in nineteen eighty-nine alone than than Ian Book won in three years as a starting quarterback. He went five and five against ranked teams. He went twenty and zero against unranked teams. That doesn't define greatness. Tony Rice beating, I think, I think it was like seven or eight top ten teams in his two years as a starter. That matters to me, including, I don't know, winning a championship. You know what I mean? Like, those are the things that really, like, just that bothers me. It's like, it's disrespectful to me when you, when you keep calling him that, because again, it's, it's, he played in an era where teams played more games. It was easier for him to start for multiple years because of how bad this, how bad recruiting at the position was. You know, like, Tony Rice had to beat out Kent Graham, right? I mean, Kent Graham went and played in the NFL. So it just, those things kind of frustrate me. I mean, because again, I'll I'll say it again. The year that Tony Rice won his national title, Notre Dame had to beat, and this is end of the season rankings, number four, Michigan, number seven, USC, number two, Miami, and number five, West Virginia. That's who Notre Dame had to beat that year in, in, in 1988 to win a national championship. Like, I'd say that's pretty good. Went you Ryan, and then the next year, uh, to to they went they went they finished I think number what they finished that year number two number two in the AP that year nineteen eighty nine, they beat number four Colorado, the end of the season. This is end of season rankings. They beat number four Colorado. They beat number seven Michigan. They beat number sixteen Michigan State. They beat number eight USC. They beat number – did they play Tennessee that year? No, they played Pitt. What did Pitt finish that year? They beat number uh, 15 Penn State, beat number 17 Pitt, and their only loss was to the national champion Miami team. That's impressive to me. Not going 5-5 five and five against top 25 teams, but 20-0 and 0 against unranked teams. So stop calling them the winningest all-time quarterback because he's because you you make me say things like this. Because it's a slap in the face of the great ones that came before him. I'm I'm sorry. It just frustrates me. If you want to talk about a modern quarterback being winning, winning his quarterback, how about we start talking? How about we start putting more respect on Tony Rice's name as an institution? The guy that won your last championship and beat how many top 10 teams that I just named in that two-year stretch? 
right? Guy went 23-1 and one as a starter in those last two years. The only loss was to the national champions. Let's put some respect on his name a little bit. So, yeah. Yeah, good. He's got a Super Bowl ring for a team he played. Z- he played he, as many snaps for the win. Eagles last year that I played, and they didn't win the Super Bowl. They didn't win, yeah. He played as many snaps for the Eagles as I did last year. So, anyway. Next question from Ryan B. B. I have looked at other coaching staffs and have noticed that some include a Viper coach. Would having a dedicated Viper coach help us with our recruiting struggles in that area? Who are you going to fire? Right. It always comes back to I mean, that this question. This is what it comes down to. Who are you going to fire? Yeah. You only have 10 assistants. Who are you going gonna to fire Brian Mason to get a Vipers coach? Are you going to fire your running backs coach? or I mean, who are you going to fire, right? Like, I mean, I get it. Like To me, that'd be a nice GA thing, but – I just I don't think it's needed. I think you need just a really good defensive line coach. I mean, the Viper has not been a problem in the last few years prior to 2022, right? And even the down year at Viper this past year saw the guy have 14 tackles for loss and 11 sacks in, in a year where he wasn't as good as he was the year before. So I just – give me a guy that's a better recruiter. It's, it's simple. Give me a guy that's a better recruiter. Or make Al Washington do a better job of recruiting, one or the other. But yeah. I don't think you need a, a, co- a coach for that position alone – because then you take away from the the rest of it. I just, you know, I just don't, uh, I don't think that, that, I just think that's a, I just don't think it works. I mean, again, in the NFL, okay, fine, do that. Because there's more, you can have more coaches. Yep. But in college football, you only have 10 assistants. And I mean, only, that's still a lot. It's better than what it used to be. But if you're going to hire a Vipers coach, you got to tell me who you're going to fire. So, I mean, again, Ryan, I'm, I, I like where your head's at. You're trying to find solutions. I get it. I'm all, I'm with you. But for me, it's just the solutions need to be hire better people at the jobs that you have now. Yeah. Or demand more from the guys that have those jobs now. Do that. And I think that'll that'll be fine. That'll be fine. All right. Next one from Call Me Ty. How important will Notre Dame starting 3 and 0 for the season program? I think it could build a lot of momentum knowing they could lose two games later in the season. I mean, I think momentum is the biggest thing for me. Call me Ty. I mean, you're breaking in a new quarterback. You're breaking in a new offensive coordinator. Those things matter. And getting off to a hot start, I think could really bolster the confidence for both players. So in that regard, I think it's great, but I I don't think that it's, I don't think that the, the, Vantage point is, you know, we're going to lose two games potentially later in the year, so we need to get off to a fast start. No, you get off to yes. a fast start so you can win those games later Correct. in the year. That's, That's the point. difference. Yeah. That's the difference. Right. So, but but regardless to the question, it's important that they get off start. You have a couple sure. cupcakes in the beginning of the year because yeah. you have breaking in a new play caller. You're breaking in a new quarterback potentially. You need to get things rolling because I mean there is a stretch of games during the middle of the season. Where the schedule gets brutal, man. It's mm-hmm. not easy. And you need to be playing good football when that stretch comes up. The, so to me, to Ty's point, I, I I think the momentum is really important. I would say 4-0 because you don't you play Ohio State in week five because yeah. uh you've got you've got uh, Navy, Tennessee State, NC State, and then Central Michigan before Ohio State. So to me it's 4-0. But yeah. I think the the whole point is about momentum so that you can go win those games. But I think there's also merit to the point of you can't afford a slip up early because of how difficult the rest of the schedule is. And that's why the Marshall game was so devastating. I mean, if you just be, look, forget what happened against Ohio State. They were better than you that day. 
Forget what happened against Ohio State, USC. They were better than you that day. If you just beat two teams that you should have flat out beat, Marshall and Stanford at home, we have a much different view of this Notre Dame football team this year. Much different view of this Notre Dame football team this year. And so, uh, to me, I think there's a lot of merit to that, especially like, so under Brian Kelly, I would not have said that that's all that important because Brian Kelly did a really good job of in his last five years of beating the teams you're supposed to beat, right? So they would have gained some momentum, probably beat NC State, and then you go into Ohio State 4-0. Now, I don't know how, if they'd have been able to beat Ohio State, those are games he couldn't win. Coach Freeman still needs to show that he can win those games, Ryan. He can win those games you're supposed to win. And so I do think it's important to get momentum for that regard, that reason as well. This team needs to get a boost in confidence that, hey, the message is right. It's 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 good. It works. We need to believe in it, buy into it. And I think it's it's those it's those early season wins where maybe you wipe a team out because they didn't have a, enough blowouts last year. I mean, BC was really the only true blowout because they kept letting UNLV hang around and hang around and hang around. You know, I'd say UNLV and I, I think we can count UNLV as a blowout. I mean, they should have got those backups in sooner, but those are the only two really blowouts they had. They let North Carolina kind of come back late. You could kind of call that a blowout, but like you didn't blow out Cal, you didn't blow out Marshall, you didn't blow out Stanford. You, you, there are so many games where you should have done that. You're winning close games early. That team was just fighting for survival from like the opening game of the year. Yeah. This team needs to kind of come out and say, no, we're going to set a different tone. We're going to smash Navy. We're going to smash Tennessee State. We're going to handle our business at NC State, which to me is not smashing. It's just winning, going on the road and beating a good top 25 NC State team. Just get that W, show you're the better team, come home, smash Central Michigan, and now you've built up some confidence in yourselves because confidence, Ryan, we've talked about. Momentum is confidence. That's what momentum is. Momentum's not some like – like it's like 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 this the football holy spirit right and you've you've got it i've got the momentum and i you know i'm hey you got the momentum you know no that's not what momentum is confidence so, sorry i was looking away could you do that again can nope, you do that again nope, please not happening. <laughs> so that was me getting the holy spirit you know what i mean but it's 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 confidence is at the foundation of momentum because confidence leads to better execution execution leads to better play better play leads to more success and it builds and it builds and it builds and it builds no doubt that's that's to me where it is. And so uh, the more you do it early, the better you'll be. So yeah. and, and somebody brought up an argument about about book and and, um, you know, hey, the, the issue is he is the winningest quarterback, not the best. And I'm saying, but but he's 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 not, though, because to me, he just played more seasons. He doesn't have a better winning percentage than Tony Rice had as a quarterback, and he has no championships. Again, I don't care about longevity awards. I care about greatness, just, and that's what I care it, about. Just call it the winningest regular season quarterback. No, and, uh, don't call him winningest anything. I don't care about accumulate. I mean, because otherwise, Ryan, there's be Hall of Famers that just because they pitched 25 years, right? I mean, well, I mean that's going to happen though in the NFL. Is that they're they're getting to a point? It's like the Frank Gore thing that we talked about, right? It's like he played so long that he's going to make the hall of fame. And I'm just like, but is that actual greatness? Is, is that actual greatness though? Right. I mean, that's my biggest right. thing. Right. I mean, we're especially in the era we play in, there's going to be so many quarterbacks that people are going to be like, that guy needs to go to the hall of fame. Look at those numbers. Sure. And you're just going to be like, eh, but really though, I mean, really. Right. right. All right. Just your ordinary. Jo- this is a really interesting uh, question or point that I just want want to address to Ryan. So why don't you read this question from just your ordinary Joe. Joe says, you know, what else doesn't help the program besides practice access lockdown? 
video in the locker room on game day. Creeps me out. Weirdly, what is that word? Voyeuristic. Voyeuristic, if you Mm -hmm. ask me. I have no idea what that word is. Nice one, Joe. So, Joe, I am also a fan of removing cameras from the locker room. And I know for NBC, we get that, that comment of coach saying something like, so I would say you're out of the locker room until the head coach is about to address the team before the game. And you're not there at halftime. There just has to be somewhere that, you know, and I'm sort of making that ad, I'm advocating for like, you know, more access, more access, more access, more access. There has to be some place, however, that's just their universe. We don't need media and, and cameras in the coach's office during, we don't need it during team meetings. We don't need it there. We don't need it in the locker room at halftime. We don't need it in the locker room in the game, except again, when you have them outside and when the coach is ready to dress the team, you bring them in, they can film this thing, do it for NBC and you're good to go, whatever. Right. But there needs to be a safe space. It's not safe space. That sounds really lame. There needs to be a sacred space. That's, for the players and the coaches and this, you know, cause like you're going to have your priest there, but they're considered part of like the team for me, but like there needs to be a sacred place. That's just for them. And that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at, to be honest with you. Like, I don't, I don't like that. There's as many people on the sideline as there is again. I just, it's a sacred place for me. Uh, not a place where people that have a lot of money. Now, part of the sacred space is people that have, have paid their dues as players can be down there, right? If Bryant Young wants to be on the sidelines, he can be on the sidelines, right? Joe Montana does whatever. But like some booster to me, it's like, you know, okay, game started, go up, go up to your box and this is their space, right? And so to me, I think the locker room needs to be that. The practice field, I think there's there's advantages to having people at the practice field because it raises the level of accountability, in my opinion, as well. That's another aspect to it, Right. And, hey, I better bring it today because the media is here. I can't afford an off day. They're going to be writing about how bad I did. That's a good thing, in my opinion, True. for players. But when they go to the locker room, they need to be able to have that space to them. And I feel that way before a game as well. Again, if they want to bring it in there for production right when the coach is about to dress the team, that's cool. Because I would have loved to have the camera recording Lou Holt saying, save Jimmy Johnson for me. Like, I would have loved to have seen that, <laughs> right? But that's the only time. Yeah, I just think I, I'm with Joe. I think that, like, like NFL, I, I I think it's weird and creepy in professional sports to have reporters in the locker room interviewing players. I just think that's weird. I, like, wait outside. Like, this is something Notre Dame does. Like, you you got to wait outside for the players to come out to you, and they get to cry and be upset or do whatever, and let them let them deal with the emotions of what just happened. And then they, when they're ready and poised, they can come out and talk to us. That's exactly how it should be, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, right. Because we I don't I belong. Would, we, we don't belong. We don't have a right to be in there, in my opinion. I, I used to have a short temper as a player sometimes too. I, I feel like I would be like, "Yo, can you get on my face for a couple minutes, man? Like, get get away from me." Like, uh, yeah. So it's interesting. I haven't thought about that exclusively, but I'm just like putting myself in a player's shoe for a second. And I could just imagine like just losing a close football game. And I got people like in my face with cameras and stuff like guys, like I, right. I have emotions, you know, like I'm a person here. I'm not just a football player. Like, like who, I, I can... who was it for the Bengals? Everybody got mad at that. He was yelling about something about Joseph Asai when they were walking. It was a Jermaine Pratt. Uh, Jermaine Pratt. It was? it was Jermaine Pratt. Yes. It's like y'all, 
okay, have y'all, if you haven't been in that situation, then shut up. Seriously. Right? You don't Seriously. understand the emotion, especially in football, like competitive sports, but especially football, which is a very violent game. You, you, you just lost you the right to play yes. in the Super Bowl. Like, yes. come on, man. Yeah. And yeah. you had the game, right? You did. Yeah. Now, yeah. you say, okay, is it right or wrong? But it's just the heat. There's some, there's some heat of the moment stuff that I just was like, you know what? We don't need that. We don't need to be there. That's their space. Yes. And I do believe that. I do believe, I do believe that the players and coaches need to have a their space. You know, and, so. and and you're playing a violent game. The emotions go off the rails sometimes. I mean, Brian, like who hasn't gotten into a little bit of a pushing match or a fight during practice when you were playing right. football, right? Like that happens right. all the time. But then you right. talk about it later. You hug it out when you're in a good state of mind, and it's past it, man. Like yeah. I, I was, I almost fought my best friend in high school during a football like right. football practice. But then afterwards, you're like, my bad, bro. Like I don't know what I was doing there. I'm sorry. Emotions got the best of me. It's an emotional game. It's emotional. Yeah. I love this. Gavin, Gavin Harden, Ryan, how much does this loss hurt? Start swinging at reporter. <laughs> I don't know about swinging, but I wouldn't tell you him. Like, can you give me a few minutes, please? Like, can you please get yeah. away from me? Seriously. <laughs> Derek Calmer said, Ryan needs anger management. Living with three females will do that. <laughs> I'm going to be living with four soon. So yeah, it's yeah. going to be wild. Cause man. you got your dog, your daughter yeah. and your wife, right? And it's about to and another four. daughter on the way. So yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah. I'm the one with three. I got Rita, Sadie and Angela. So yeah, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. I got a lot of I got a lot of pent upness. That's where those rants come from. I got a lot of pent up anger and frustration. I got to get out. Seriously, seriously. Yeah. I got a super chat from Mike Rowley. I I'm, I don't know if I'm saying that correct, Mike. If I'm saying that incorrectly, please let me know. I want to make sure I get your name right. But we got a super chat from Mike here. And his take is Notre Dame needs to go back to the early '90s uniforms, numbers, pants with the new gold helmets. Um. So I'm somewhat I'm I'm somewhat sympathetic to a modernized version of that because one of my favorite uniforms I've seen Notre Dame ever wear in the last decade was the the 2018 game or was it 2019 game against Boston College, the senior day, where they threw the 88 throwbacks. I love that pant helmet combination. I love the way that the jersey looked. I thought that was really sharp, Ryan. And I'm actually gonna try to find a picture of it that my that my wife took from that game. Because uh, she does photography, but I mean, to me, Ryan, there are some really, some really interesting combinations that you could have with that. I would, I would not be opposed to something like that. I, I wouldn't. I, I think there could be some very interesting things that you could see. Here, here's. I'm gonna see if I can pull it up. Maybe super. Maybe a streamer will be working me. I, I believe I've shown this picture before, but uh, let me let me pull it up here real quick. All right, so that's a picture that my wife took of Alohi Gilman at the night at the 2019 BC game. I love that color combination. I do. Like those oh, are the nice. 88 uniforms. Uh, I think they look really good. I think they look really sharp. Let's show you guys that from the beginning. Um, they they were they had a little bit of mesh to them. I thought those were super sharp. I I, I really I really liked those. It's just me. so yeah <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I thought that was sharp. Uh, something like, so something like that's a bit of a throwback you had like the mesh looking numbers but it was a modern jersey it wasn't like the old school mesh like you you, you that just you could see through like you, i remember that's our practice jerseys when i was in college was that old school mesh stuff i hated those yeah things. i had those in high school too yeah I had those in high yeah. school yeah. so but yeah i could see something like that but definitely with the same color pants that they used to have for sure that's the one absolutely that needs to change 
So yeah, Mike, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that a little bit. And that's a little bit kind of how I envision it, to be honest with you. Like, I don't want to get the real, really creepy. Like when Oregon has like certain color combination, like they ruin it with like these really weird wing things on their shoulder pads or their yeah. helmets. And it's just like, give me or, the green or- with the green helmet and the, the yellow O. That's the, one of the sweetest uniforms in college football. And they'll do like, they'll have like two cool uniforms a year and the rest are just hot garbage in my opinion. Yeah, they went they went a little too overboard on some of them cuz I mean when Oregon started doing the uniforms, they were like, "Oh, man, that's sick. That's nice. Mm-hmm. It's really cool." And then they just throw in like I hate their all gray uniforms. I saw them there a couple years ago. I'm just like, "That's ugly. That one's ugly. The the full lawn g- yellow is just like kind of and eh, like that's a little too much." Like they re- they went really you know what it is, Brian? Like they went very like, let's go color rush with everything we mm-hmm. do, right? Like everything has to match. I'm just like, no, just just stay with what you were doing. It was cool. And recruits loved it for a little bit there, man. They're like, oh, look at those uniforms. Incredible. And now it's just got kind of gimmicky, yeah. I think. People are just it's like, it's just oh, lame at this point, at this point yeah. in time now. Yeah, it's yeah. lame now. It's definitely got lame now. All right, next question, Ryan, we have here from, we had Call Me Ty and Ordinary Joe. Here's one from Archer452, our resident Ohio State fan. Archer says, my perspective, secondary has the chance to be elite. Linebackers have a lot of talent. Defensive line does not scare me. That's a combo of lack of big-time playmaking and coaching. Well, I can understand why an Ohio State fan would not be uh, in love with the coaching because obviously that he Al Washington <laughs> he knows, leaves he knows Al well. he with knows the Al greatest well. reputation. Yeah, I, I think the talent is. I think the talent is better than people think. Uh, On the defensive is, but, line, but, yes, but to his point, there is no proven playmaker there. Proven playmaker. There could be playmaker step up. Maybe Tahoe. Maybe Josh Burnham. Maybe Riley Mills. Maybe something like that. Maybe I don't know. But from a proven, if I'm an outsider looking in, I'm not concerned about their names. Uh, defensive line right now as an insider someone who knows the potential of that group i'm like "Ah, it could be pretty good but it's a it's a it's a big question mark because none of those guys have proven it on any sort with any sort of consistency whatsoever even but the whole last year he flashed hit some games here games there and then there's times where he was just terrible i mean go go watch the marshall game it was awful you know as were a lot of guys on the d-line that game so it's the consistency so can jordan patejo play like he did against south carolina consistently if so they got a playmaker on the D-line, right? Yeah. Can Riley Mills play all the time like he has in flashes, like against Virginia and Wisconsin and uh, North Carolina, he was pretty good. There's been other games where when he's on, he's pretty good, but he's got to start being on every week, not just four or five games a year. I think those are the questions, Archer. So if I'm an outsider, I'm not worried about those guys because none of them have shown it to me consistently. But I would say that was the same concern heading into 2021 because they had lost Adi, they had lost Dalen, they had lost Aguara, they had lost Tillery in the two to three previous years. All those guys that were really great on that 2018 team were gone. Well, then what happens? Isaiah Foskey steps up, goes from four and a half sacks to 11, yeah. right? And and so now somebody needs to step up like he did. That's going to be the question, and I don't know who that's going to be. And until that happens, then, yeah, I'm not scared of the Notre Dame defensive line until that happens. And especially from Archer's perspective as an Ohio State fan, I mean, Notre Dame's defensive line did not – have a good day against Ohio State. No. I mean, you can't like, call it what it is, man. Isaiah Foskey had a great career at Notre Dame, a lot of accolades and everything. But I mean, he was invisible against DeWan Jones and that crew yet, that day. Like, he just wasn't he wasn't in the same atmosphere. Right. So yeah, there needs to be an influx. But, but I agree with you. I think there is a lot of talent on that defensive line. It's just 
it has not been it's not being yeah. developed properly right now, which is and I, the main and I don't thing. know if there's any elite talent on it right now. I think down the road, so like yeah. I think jo- down the road, Josh Burner could be elite. Do I expect him to be elite in 2023? No, I don't. I just expect to be hey, start showing those flashes, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, kind of like what a, you it's saw a depth with, of yeah. talent for me. Yeah. Yeah, is the potential. I, I was going to try to make a comparison between Ohio State. Like, you need him to be like what Jack Sawyer was this year for Ohio State, right? Like, it wasn't perfect all the time, but you saw it, right? Like, you're like, oh, okay, there's a flash. There's a flash. It's just not consistent. And it shouldn't be as a retro freshman. It shouldn't be consistent right. yet. Right. Yep, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. So, so good one on that one. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Let's get down to this next one from Tyler Smith. Tyler says, do you guys think the defense was more gassed because of the offensive play is why they de- did that where they died bad in certain games? That was, was did. Why they, oh, they did bad. That's why they did games. bad. In oh, they, games. oh, they did poorly. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got yeah. Uh, yeah. I think there's, there's something to that. Yeah. I think there's something to that. Not always. I think sometimes they were, here's the thing too. Here's the, here's the rub. Part of the reason that they were gassed at times is because they couldn't get off the field at times on third down. Right. Can't blame the offense for that. You know what I mean? Like, and, and it's like, you know, look, they had their their mistakes too. offense played terrible against Stanford. But then the offense finally put something together and gets a touchdown to give them a lead in the fourth quarter. And they give it right back and they go right down the field and score. So, I mean, that's that's partly your fault, too, is you've, you've got to do better on third down. I mean, you could say, oh, the offense didn't do really well uh, against Marshall. And they didn't. The offense went four of 13 on third down. You know who else went four of 13 on third down? Marshall, right? That's what kept the game close. But game on the line, late in the game, you couldn't get off the field, right? I mean, you know, part of the reason Ohio State defense couldn't get off the field in the second half. Why? Because Ohio State kept moving the chains. It went seven of 13 on fourth down, on third down. You know, why offense wasn't on the field long enough against you? You gave up eight of 12 third down attempts against USC. That's why you lost, including the two turnovers. Like, it wasn't that you were gassed. You didn't make plays. Yeah, first drive of the game, they got third and short, and they just turned the tight end loose for a big play. You're ready to get off the field right there. Bam, off the field. You give up a play. It's not on the offense. So at times, Tyler, Tyler, absolutely at times, that is true. And this offense this year has to be more efficient in in, in those areas. But at the same time, you can help yourself get off the stay off the field by making stops. The other thing that hurt them is they were a decent third down defense last year but force no turnovers for the first half of the season, you know? And so, so again, get yourself off the field. That's the key. If you can do that, then you won't be on the field as long. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of common sense. There were so many head shakers last year, Brian, like how many like third and longs did a team? Like, oh yeah. Like if you were, were in third like... and four against their name, you were screwed where you wanted to be as a, you almost like, Hey, if you're in third and four, take a couple delays. Seriously, because Notre Dame cannot stop anyone in third and ten plus. I mean, it just including on running plays, and it was like simple stuff, like the third nine against Marshall. It's like a a a back running and under route from the opposite side. Like that's should be one of the easiest things to defend. You know, you got third and eighteen. They run a draw against BYU, and nobody gets to the guy until he gets to the first down marker. It's just like just stuff like that was maddening. That's not on the offense. That's on you. You make those stops, and then your offense is putting people away. That's the reality of it, right? So get off the field. You got gassed against Ohio State because you couldn't stop their run game in the second half. It's not on the offense. It's on you. Now, the offense played like crap in that game for sure, but you've got to start making those stops as well. And then the offense has to step up big time. I mean, the offense needs to make a lot more improvement this year than the defense does. Let's let's be honest about that. Yep. But it, it needs to get better. We have another one from Gavin Harden. 
says, Ryan, could you see Darnell Washington making a transition to tackle in the NFL, kind of like a Taylor Decker? I mean, could he, Gavin? I mean, could he? Sure. I mean, he's 6'7", 270 plus pounds, who has an easy frame where he could be 300 pounds if he wanted to. I don't think that that transition is going to happen because I do think that, I mean, this is my pushback with the Darnell Washington stuff. I think Darnell Washington is very overrated for the simple fact that great blocker, big frame, I question what the upside is as a receiver. Is he ever going to be a high-volume receiver? I just I don't know if that's the case at the next level. I think he's more of a Bubba Franks-style tight end, which there's nothing wrong with that. Bubba Franks was a good football player for several years in the NFL. I think he had like eight or nine touchdowns one year for the Green Bay Packers. Good football player. But I don't think that I don't think that you've seen the best though of Darnell Washington either. I do think that he's a developing prospect. I mean, they're, they're, like let's be honest, from a passing game perspective. If Eric Gilbert wasn't such a knucklehead, he Darnell Washington's probably back in school again this year because he doesn't have any volume perspective at all. So could could he if he wanted to? Sure. But I think that honestly, Darnell Washington's going to be a very good member of a tight end room at the next level. High effort as a blocker, very strong displacement power. You're just going to have to be an understanding that maybe Darnell Washington's not going to be a 50 plus catch a game guy. Maybe it's not what that is, right? He's probably more a 30 to 40 catch guy who can win some in the red zone and can be a dominant for you. And there's nothing wrong with that. I just think you have to have a general understanding of what Darnell Washington is. Don't try to make him something he's not. He's one of those guys I feel bad for Ryan, because he's one of those guys that if he'd have played in a different era, he'd have been a star. If Manti Teo yeah. would have played in the NFL in the eighties or nineties, he's a hall of famer. If he's healthy, I'm being a bit hyperbolic. He'd have been a yeah. great NFL player in my opinion assuming good health, because that's another part of what hurt Manti too, is he, he got hurt pretty early in his career and just couldn't stay healthy. Yep. But the game was starting to evolve away from what he does. And even if he was healthy, he's still a two down linebacker in the NFL against some, and some teams you just like, you know, can't really use them. It, Darnell Washington 30 years ago is a star tight end. Yeah. Back in the day of where you wanted a guy like him playing tight end and attached block nine techniques run play action passes and stuff like that, right? Like he has that old school tight end. And so you're like, man, if he would have come along 30 years ago, that guy's going to be a first round draft pick. I mean, he, he might still be now. a first round draft pick. Yeah. He might still be because people are going to fall. But someone's not going to say it with that disdain in their face. Like you just, did. yes, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's like, you know, wow. Yeah, of course you want to get that guy. So that's it. That's the other part of it too, is just wh- what offenses does he fit? That's yeah. that's my question. I, I just hate the overhyping of prospects sometimes because, like, I'm just like, I want to enjoy Darnell Washington as a prospect, man. He's one of the best blocking tight ends to come out in several years. He's a massive kid. He's got strong hands. A lot of good that you can come out of him. Is he a first round player? In my opinion, no, he's not. Not today. Not not in this game now. But it doesn't mean that he's not a good football player, though. Darnell Washington's a heck of a football player. If I could have Darnell Washington on Notre Dame's roster right now, you don't think I would take him? Heck yeah, I would take him. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We have a couple questions about Darius Walker. One is from Tyler Smith. He says, how come Darius Walker doesn't get talked about much when it comes to Notre Dame pass running backs? And then the second one is from Anthony Manzano. Who is your favorite Notre Dame running back uh, of all time? Mine is Darius Walker. So let's begin with this one from uh, Tyler Smith, Ryan. Why doesn't, how come Darius Walker doesn't get talked about when it comes to the past Notre Dame running backs? Do you have a thought on that? I, I mean, I think I think it's because he played with a lot of stars. I mean, you're talking about the Samarges, the Stovalls, the Brady Quins. I mean, Darius Walker was a good football player, though. There's no doubt about it. It's just, I mean, when you play with so many, it's like it's like when in the past, like Jerry Kramer's a guy for the Green Bay Packers in like the 60s and 70s. He's not in the Hall of Fame mostly because he played with so many other players that made the Hall of Fame that he gets overlooked. That's kind of what happens there, and I think that's what happens with Darius Walker. He's a good football player. It gets overshadowed a little bit because he played with a lot of good other offensive players, man. Like that's just where it comes down to for me. Jerry Walker or Jerry Kramer actually was inducted in the hall of fame. It just was very, very late. He was very late, but he is currently in the, uh, in the uh, hall of fame. When did he go in? It must've been like super recently. Yeah. 2018. Oh, okay. Mission yeah. Got it. Yeah. Yep. 2018. So it was, it was very late. Yeah. It's it's that's part of it, Ryan. He was very overshadowed by other stars. I mean, that's just, and you had a, a head coach who took up a lot of oxygen as well. You know, uh, like you said, Brady, Samarja, Stovall, uh, Rayma, you know, Abby Amiri, the tight ends were really good. Anthony I think Sano, the other part yeah. of it too, is he wasn't real sexy as a player. He just was <laughs> a, just do your job. I mean, he averaged two, 4.7 yards per carry in 2005. He averaged 5.0 in 2000, uh, in 2006, caught a lot of passes, caught over hundred passes in only three years. I think to a degree, there's also some Notre Dame fans that are a little upset with Darius for two things. One, he didn't come back in 07, which I don't blame him because I think he knew what was going to happen to whoever played running back <laughs> that next year. True. Like that, that writing was on the wall. But number two, him running out of bounds against USC on that last drive. I know a lot of front people who will never, from a football standpoint, will never forgive him for that because – does USC have enough time to make that drive at the end if he doesn't run out of bounds? That's very fair. I get that. Very yeah. fair. Yeah. So I think that's part, but I think the first two reasons are more why overshadowed by other all time greats. And then he just wasn't a sexy player, but he was very, he was very important to that offense. Very important. He just isn't the sexy kind of guy that's going to have that, you know, but look, the thing about him, he played well in both bowl games. He played well against Ohio state and he played very well. I mean, he's their only good offensive player against, LSU the next year, rushed for over 100 yards in that game. So he, uh, you know, I, and he was slow. I think some people are going to evaluate him. Oh, he's slow. He wasn't, you know, he was a very good back. He had great vision, great feet. Really good this back. Was, this was slow. Yeah. He's a very good running, very underrated running. Could catch, could block. I mean, he, he was a very good running back. I, yeah. I was surprised that he didn't stick in the NFL for a couple of years because I thought the catching speed. and the block, blocking ability would it's be the, kind of the a speed. He was really slow, like really slow. He's a good back. Yeah. I met him once. He's a pretty nice guy, very personable, very energetic. But yeah, Ryan, I, I, 
I think his game too would would be even better suited today's NFL. I think in today's yeah. NFL he'd be he'd even have a better chance, but he he was just really slow. I think that was the issue. And then this one from Anthony Mazzano, Ryan, is uh, who is your favorite Notre Dame running back of all time? All time, all time's tough. I mean, yeah. I have a group. I mean, it's Julius Jones for obvious reasons, great player from that's Virginia. Great. That's a good one. Yeah, Reggie Brooks is in that conversation. Jerome Pettis. I mean, those are. Those are some of my, I mean, those are, those are, and usually your favorite players usually going to be someone from your childhood. So those, I mean, those I, 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 I really loved Kyron, man. Kyron was a fun yeah. player to watch. I know that's more recent, but like he really brought the joy to the game. You know who I loved Brian that unfortunately his career did not end the way you once thought it might, but I love Terry and Folson early oh, in his yeah. career, man. I really love the Folson. knee injury. Yeah. yeah really like his, good. his freshman year, man. I was like, that dude's going to be legit. Yeah. And then the injury yeah. ensued. Ricky waters is another one, but he really only played true running back for like one year. Yeah. Um, and well, two 89 and 90, but more so 90. But yeah. They've had, they used to have some really good running backs, man. Darius Walker would probably be high on my board too. I really yeah. did like Darius Walker. I yeah. really did. Yeah, you were a little too young to, to remember the Bettis and Brooks, Ricky Waters yeah. here. I mean, I, I, I remember. They were, yeah, they yeah. Were, you were one when they left or two years old when they left Notre Dame. So, yeah, I get that. I, I mean, I, rem- I remember Ricky running Waters and Jerome, the bus Bettis when they were in the NFL, like for sure. sure but, sure. yeah, not right. as much in Notre Dame uniform. Right. We have a super chat here from Beefeater. Here we go, Ryan. Feeder says, B. Ryan, thoughts on removing the play like champion sign until we win a natty to motivate the team, being a champion greater than playing like a champion? No. Yeah, I, I, would, I, I get where you're coming from, but to me, it's it's play like a champion is something that establishes your what your mindset needs to be every day, right? Yeah. Like every day, play like a champion, play like a champion, practice like a champion, you know, prepare like a champion, do all of that. Uh, to me, I, I'm, I, I understand where you're coming from. But that's like the kind of silliness that Brian Kelly did. What you're saying isn't silly. I understand where you're coming from. Well, Brian Kelly was silly. We're not going to have the number one jersey be used until we're back to being number one all-time win percent. Like, well, that's stupid. You know what I mean? Like, that's just dumb. But to me, the reason it's important, and I think there's merit to your suggestion. I'm not dismissing it. Like, for me, I want that around my program because I want those guys. I would actually make it more visible. So, like, you, and maybe it is. But like I, they need to see it walking out of the practice field, walking into the practice field, walking up. Because like, guys, this is your mindset. Ask me yeah. every day. You got to practice on a Monday. You don't or Tuesday. You don't want to be there. Sunday night practice. You don't want to be there. That grind in the middle of fall camp where you're just like, dude, I don't want to do anything but sleep for the next three days. I get it. But that mindset needs to be beat into your head. That's the expectation of you today. If you want to win a championship in January, you got to practice like one in August. Yeah. And I think that's the mindset you need to have. And and I think removing those doesn't help in that regard. I just I you know, I don't I don't I don't think it does. But I think at this point in time I understand the sympathy, Ryan, of wanting to just think of something to motivate these guys to do that. I just don't think that is the direction that I would go. Notre Dame's such a built on tradition program, you know, like I don't want to take the greatest parts of it away just to you know, because I, I get I get it to be fair. Trust me, I want to see a championship so bad. <laughs> I really do, yeah. man. Like, there's no doubt about it. You've never it, seen one. I've never you, seen you, one. You, yeah, never seen one. But at the end of the day, the reasons part of the reasons I love Notre Dame is the tradition of it. Right. You know what it stands for, and that the play like a champion sign is part of it. You know, I when I got a tattoo, I got the play like a champion sign on me. Like, I, that's just it's 
synonymous with Notre Dame. It matters to me. So that tradition matters. Yeah. Next question here, and I think we're going to wrap up here with this one from Ray Holcroft. Actually, we have two. Uh, real quick from uh, Mr. 2.0. I'll just read this one real quick. Ryan. Anything on Aiden sure. Kanaana? People are talking like he might transfer after the season, but I think he'll ideally be a big role this year, need size on the D-line. He's not leaving right now. He's going to be there for the spring. For some reason, I just don't think Al Washington likes Aiden Kanaana very much, and I think that's silly. Uh, if they're smart, they will allow him to fight for playing time this year. Absolutely. If Look, you're running a defense that doesn't allow your defensive lineman to penetrate as much inside, so why wouldn't you want the biggest guy in your roster to be into it? <laughs> Seriously. In a factor Seriously. Just, some of the stuff they say and do, just uh, the D-line, just like I just want to pound my head on the table, just like what the is going on. But that's really the reason. And if and if he still doesn't get coached and pushed this spring, then, yeah, I, I could see him leaving. But I think right now the focus is on letting him go out there and say, okay, you don't want to you don't want to give me a shot. I'm going to earn it and yeah. show you. Because I think Aiden wants to be at Notre Dame. Otherwise, he'd have left. So, uh, and he's a good kid. And he's close to getting his degree. So, yeah, I hope he has a breakout spring for sure. I saw him in I saw him in the weight room the other day too, and he looks like he's working, man. Like he looked yeah. good. Oh, that, looked that's good never a question. He's got to stay healthy, yeah. but working's never going to be a question for for Aiden. Yeah. And then here's the last one from Ray Holcroft. Question is: Which position group from the 2023 recruiting cycle is needed most for the 2023 season? Ideally, which players need to play as freshmen? I I think wide receivers for me is one that we've talked about a ton. I mean. Look, the cornerback class is great. You don't need the corners a ton. You don't need them this year. I mean, would it be nice if Christian Gray steps up and is that third corner, fourth corner, whatever he ends up being? I mean, sure. But I think for me, it is the wide receivers. You need to continue to challenge into that room. You have a couple guys that I think, you know, the Jaden Greathouses of the world, the Rico Flores of the world, the guys that could instantly impact this team. And, uh, you know, you're still fighting depth issues from the previous staff. You're still trying to, you know, get back to the numbers you need. And I think a couple of those kids need to step up and play a lot early, potentially, at least give you some rotation. Yeah, I, I think linebacker depth is going to, you're going to need some at the linebacker special teams depth this year. I, I think tight end is a good one. I could definitely see that. And I think, I think one defensive, one interior defensive lineman needs to step up. I mean, whether it's Devin Houston or Brendan Vernon, I think there's another area where they could help. And the safeties, as you mentioned, Ryan, I think there's definitely going to need at least one safety yep. to work into the rotation this year, ideally, uh, would certainly be where they are. We have, we do have a super chat, Ryan, that we're going to end with. So we had one sure. from Charlie Weiss's last belt loop. How did Coach Weiss get Jimmy, Floyd, and Tate? That's Golden Tate, Michael Floyd, Jimmy uh, Jimmy Clausen. I mean, this guy could recruit. I don't think Notre Dame has gotten those types of talent since he left. I think a Freeman, D.C., Charlie, O.C. team would be scary. Thank you, I.B. Uh, thank you for the Super Chat, Charlie. The biggest reason is he was selling Tom Brady and the offense that he had, and then he had the two years under, under Brady Quinn, with Brady Quinn. So – he had something to sell. And, you know, the, Michael Floyd's looking at Notre Dame and and you've got Zeph Samarja was in the, the I think he was a Bolitnikov finalist, I believe, in one of those years. You've got Stovall's a thousand yard receiver. Second round football. Pick. Yeah. Yeah, yep. exactly. And and you've got Brady throwing it all over the yard. He wins the Maxwell Award, I believe. What didn't uh, I think I thought Brady won the Maxwell Award. He won I'm, one of those. Like might have been Davey I'm almost O'Brien. positive. Almost positive. Yeah. It might have been the Davy O'Brien. Let me look and see what Brady Brady he won one of those big awards. Yeah, Maxwell Award and the Golden Unitas Arm Award and the Sammy Ball trophy. Uh so uh, you know, you had a guy that was was where he was and 
and it was a very attractive and Charlie was selling. I can get you the NFL plus Notre Dame is still Notre Dame. And Colton Tate went to a, a Catholic school in Tennessee. Pope, the same as Kenny Minchie, Pope John Paul II, Michael Floyd was from Minnesota. You know, so you had those unique situations. And then of course, Jimmy was going to play for a guy that was going to get in the NFL. And at the time USC was kind of starting to come down a little bit. They were, there was a lot of rum. It was before the sanctions. I believe it was before the sanctions started to hit, but there was rumblings about things that were coming along and, you know, and I think at the time he wanted to, you know, Notre Dame made a lot of sense for him because you got to remember when, when, when Jimmy committed to Notre Dame, they were hot. They were coming off the Fiesta Bowl. I mean, they were the hot team. And same thing with Golden Tate. Like Michael Floyd's the one that committed to them when they were bad. Like he committed them during the 07 season. But Golden Tate and Jimmy were were committed to Notre Dame after the back-to-back 10, you know, well, the nine win and the 10 win season, but the back-to-back really the BCS years that Notre Dame had going to the Fiesta one year and the Sugar the next year. So it made total sense why they came to Notre Dame. It's the guys that came later. Now, I would somewhat disagree that they haven't got guys like they like that since. I mean, they got Manti in 09. Manti was every bit as of a big of a recruit as those guys. Uh, they got Aaron Lynch, was a big-time recruit, Stephon Tuitt. Now, they haven't gotten a lot of those guys. That's a very fair point, Charlie. Uh, but, I mean, but he sold it. But, again, what was it that sold it, Ryan? It wasn't Notre Dame's prestige. It wasn't the history. It was – you're putting points up on the board and your offense is throwing yes. it all over the yard. It's yes. proven results. Proven results will get why why does Notre Dame recruit big time offensive linemen consistently? Because they look at it and say, well, if you want to get to be a first round NFL draft pick, being all American and all that, guess where you need to go? Notre Dame. Right. And same with tight ends. Why do they have success recruiting big time guys there, but not wide receiver? Well, if you're a wide receiver right now, why would you want to play in the Notre Dame offense? That's the thing. That's what made the job Chancey did so so good because he put that receiver class together in the midst of them being a – saying they were a mediocre pass team last year is being nice. Yes. Especially when you look at the receiver. I mean, most of their big plays in the pass game came from their tight end and their running backs. And so, I mean, I would argue that Audrick Estime had more big, important plays in the pass game than, than Lorenzo Styles did last year. So – Easily, you know, I, th- I would say, yeah, actually. He had, yeah. he had, what, the one touchdown against North Carolina up a yep. seam. It, you yep. know, but but Audrick had a, had several, like, big important plays in the pass game. I'm not putting that all on Lorenzo Styles. I'm making the point that's how bad the pass game was last year. Yes. And and yet he still wouldn't got that group. So, look, if the results start to come, the players will come. I, I've said this for years. You know, if you build a championship team or, or a really fun, exciting team or something that is attractive to people, they will want to be part of it. And it's as simple as that. So, um, but that's how he, and he was a very good recruiter. I mean, look, he would literally have kids come to office and he'd have all four Super Bowl rings on his fingers. That matters. It's an easy sell. It's an easy sell. Hey, I, I coached Tom Brady to four Super Bowl, Super Bowls. That sells. Yes. You know, so uh, yeah, that, that, that was part of it too, right? Was absolutely that. So, Ryan, that is going to do it for today's show, uh, and you're welcome, Charlie. Appreciate that very much. That's going to do it for today's show. Um, uh, Caleb Collins had a question about Anthony Richardson. Caleb, that's a great question for the message board because I'm sure Ryan has a lot of thoughts on that, but we're we're going to get out of here. He was asking about why is Caleb Richard, Anthony Richardson being projected to the number one pick. Uh, I'm sure Ryan has a lot to say about that, but that is for the message boards, which you can find at boards at ourspreakdown.com. Folks, before you get out of here, please do us a favor. Hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast. Time for the message boards. If you haven't already done so, they are still raising money for Jaden Mickey's mom. 
And so we have, you can find that on my Twitter page. You can go to Jaden's Twitter page. Uh, they are still definitely in need of more money uh, to help her. She actually put something up the other day of just her talking and showing just because like we haven't seen it. We haven't seen a picture of her in a while. Just kind of showing how how the cancer is kind of what the damage is doing to her. So uh, if you're still able, please, we would we would ask you to do that. But also if you're if if you are able to spend, but if you're not able to give money, uh, the power of prayer is still something that I very much believe in. So uh, you can always do that as well. So anyway, folks, have a great rest of your day. I'm not sure if we're going to be back or not tomorrow. We will have the 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 um, the uh, rapid fire special rapid fire coming up here tonight with Sean Styers and the crew. Uh, follow me on Twitter and on the message board at, at Coach D178 on Twitter, and I'll let you know if we're going to be doing the show tomorrow or not. I got to talk to Sean Davis. I got to talk to my wife because I, I know there's some things she had going on tomorrow. Uh, and we'll let you know if we're going to have the Saturday show tomorrow. But if not, we'll be back on Monday. If we are, I will see you tomorrow. But either way, make sure you stick around and hang in to the Irish Breakdown Podcast. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.